Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofits all across the country to translate your vision into reality. I want to welcome everybody back to the podcast. Hope everybody had a safe, healthy, and happy uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, and want to welcome everybody back to another episode. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that comes up if it hasn't come up in your nonprofit, it is likely to come up soon. Um, many nonprofits wrestle with this, particularly the larger our staff sizes grow. But our, today's topic is going to be how to handle and manage people whose work and thinking styles are different from your own. And to help us with this conversation, I'm pleased to welcome today's guest, Dr. Jean Ladding. Dr. Ladding is the president of Leading Consciously LLC and a professor emerita at the Graduate College of Social Work, University of Houston. As a consultant, researcher, and educator, Jean focuses on leadership in multicultural and diverse organizations. Through her organization, Jean helps individuals and organizations create resilient, sustainable, multicultural, and diverse settings. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ladding. It's a pleasure to have you join us. Thank you, Greg. I am delighted to be here. Excellent. I want to uh, give you an opportunity to just introduce yourself to our listeners. I read that brief bio, uh, but just for our listeners who are largely in nonprofit executives, nonprofit board members, senior leaders, um, give us a give us an overview of, of yourself, your background, and your work. Okay, so I have a master's in social work with an emphasis on community organization. Social work is divided very roughly into micro or macro. I'm macro, organizations, communities, uh, haven't done policy. I'm mostly community and, and organizations. I've uh, cut my teeth in the trenches as a caseworker umpteen years ago and then moved quickly into community organization. I was one of those door knocking, tenants rights, welfare rights, community org person. Then from there, I discovered it wasn't just the outside folks who were getting uh, the poor and the vulnerable who were oppressed. It was also people inside the workplace, people inside the organizations that were supposedly there to help them. And I also discovered that uh, the workplace mirrors what's happening as the as the exec treats the employees, so the employees treat the clients. And Very I just, it's called parallel process. So I discovered that, which fascinated me. And I've been working mostly within organizations as an organization development specialist, and now specializing in diversity, inclusion, and equity. So, Dr. Ladding, as we you know. As we lead our nonprofit organizations, a lot of times they mirror what is going on in our society, what's going yes. on in our communities. We all, um, you know, we want to have staff members that get along, staff members that have productive and professional working relationships. But that entails getting to know individuals whose leadership style may be different than our own, whose communication style may be different than our own. I'm curious how you began to think through this topic and work through work through this topic in your work with organizations. Okay. Well, what's fascinating is that people already know how to do that. Your audience already knows how to do that. They do it with the clients. 
we work with murderers. We work with child abusers. We work with uh, uh, all kinds of people. So we know how to work with people who who have different cultural values, who think differently for ourselves. But we put them in the category of client. And in that category of client, we cut them slack. And we look for their strengths. We do all the right things. But our bosses, our uh, co-workers, our direct reports, our family and friends, we put them in the category of what I call they should know better. And once we put somebody in that they should know better category, we stop cutting them slack and we lose our skills and we don't treat them as we know they should be treated. When you see conflict or tension in organizations, I'm curious, how often do you see it between and among people whose leadership and communication styles are fundamentally different versus those who have very similar um, uh, ways of approaching conflict or ways of communicating or ways of leading. I'm curious, is there one or the other that tends to lead to more conflict within organizations? For sure, those who think differently. Those who think similarly know how to talk their way through their differences because they have similar communication styles. They don't need as many words. Uh, so they, they do fine. Those who uh, think differently from us, if I say, cool down, cool down, where's the fire? Why are you getting so upset? And I say that's to someone who says those same words, they understand. They say, oh, you're right. If I say someone who's been told all their life they're too hyper and they're too rushed, then all I'm going to do is make them angry. And so just our very words on how to mellow out differences are different. So when you are in a situation as a leader and there is tension in the organization and you yes. sense that this is an employee uh, or a coworker who may approach leadership or approach situations differently than you do, what are the first two or three things that, that we should tell ourselves as we approach that tension, as we approach that conflict, so that we can be productive and maintain a positive relationship? Number one, this person is a client. I know how to deal with clients. If I put this person in the client category, then I won't rush them. I won't expect them to know what I know. I will use my skills. So that's first. Okay. Second is empathy. What is it? There are two forms of empathy. There's cognitive empathy and emotional empathy. There's a third, but we'll leave that aside. Cognitive empathy is known as perspective taking. What are they thinking? Can I imagine? It's amazing to me how many people can't put themselves cognitively in another person's shoes and see the world their side. I, this happened a lot uh, in the 2016 election when I said, I get where the other side is coming from. And people said, how can you get it? They're stupid. They're this, they're that. I said, you just look at look at their lives. Think about it. And so, so that's two is cognitive empathy. Three is emotional. 
even if you can't cognitively understand where they're coming from, can you feel what they feel? This person in front of you is feeling pain. You're feeling pain, they're feeling pain. Can you relate and speak to their pain. Dr. Letting, as you as you approach situations like that, and I'm, I'm particularly drawn to what you were discussing with a cognitive empathy, is can you put yourself in someone else's shoes? Are there tools, are there activities or exercises when you're working with a leader that can help them envision where might this other person be coming from? Where might my boss be coming from, my coworker be coming from? How do you develop those skills of cognitive empathy if we're not natural, if it doesn't come to us naturally? Okay, so question number one, do you want to understand that person or do you want to be mad? So that's the first question. And we really have to get past that question because sometimes people just want to vent and they want to be mad. Question number two, do you want to move past this difficulty or do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? You're not going to be able to do both because you're already right. Because I can put myself in their shoes. So I can see where from their perspective, my client, they're right. I get that. I can see why you would be totally upset that so-and-so did such and such. But do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? And if you want to be effective, now you're ready to do the skills. So then the question then is, what do you imagine that person was thinking that they would do this? How can they go to bed at night knowing that they lied to you? knowing that they, uh, let's see, the person you have told them repeatedly to get their work in on time, and this is the third week it was late. It makes no sense to you. You're a punctual person. Everybody knows that everybody responsible is punctual and does their work on time. Everybody responsible knows that if you're late, they are late, then that makes which next the next person like everybody knows that okay so we get you're right now what do you think is in the mind of someone who handles hands in some work product three late three times in a row what do you imagine they're thinking i, I would yeah huh? it does take it does take some emotional empathy it also takes some Self-control, as you said, uh, I love the question you posed a few minutes ago. Do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? And I think that that's a powerful question for leaders in organizations to ponder. Yep, because if I want to be right, I can tell my employee or my coworker how wrong they are for getting stuff in late yet again after they said they would not. I can get all all up in arms about that. So I know how to be right. But if I want to be effective, I want this person to be motivated to change their behavior. Now I have to do something different. I have to start off what it's like, what their life must be like to have to face my wrath three times in a row. What can I imagine that person feels like? So when you start a conversation like that with a coworker, you want to make sure, I would imagine, that you're not um, presupposing 
anything or making generalizations or insinuations that may not be true about that other person's perspective or work product. How do you walk that line between displaying cognitive empathy and, and sort of hypothesizing what may be going on, but also not insinuating or being an active listener to allow that person to give you honest communication in return? Okay, so I'm not sure if I'm answering your question exactly, but I, I'm going to tell you how I do that. So if I'm talking to, if I'm the manager talking to somebody who's given me the same product uh, late three times in a row, I would first identify with this person's terror. Either they're going to be terrorized having to face me, or they're going to be defiant and say, well, I did it, didn't I? So they're going to be facing, I'm going to be facing one or the other attitudes. So let's say I'm facing the terror. And even if they're defiant, behind the terror of uh, defiance is terror. Because I, who wants to be late and have to face somebody being upset with them? Nobody wants that. So the question now is, what happened? So what I tell people is go into Sherlock Holmes, Columbo, <laughs> Kojak, whatever. I don't know who is the current uh, uh, detective. But you're now a detective putting together a puzzle. You're looking at clues. So you're asking the person, so what happened? Chances are the person has only very flimsy excuses. But the question is how to get them to diagnose what goes wrong? So I had a client, I have a client who's consistently late. She has ADHD, a number of other things. So I ask her, where's the point? What's the point where you know you're going to be late? What happens? She said, well, what happens is I think I have a few more minutes. And then I get wrapped up in something. So I'm, I'm diagnosing. Okay, so you're thinking you're going to be a few, you have a few more minutes. So what's your thought when you have a few more minutes? Well, my thought is I can just do this one thing, and then I look at up, and it's three hours later, and I'm fatigued, and I go to bed. So now I don't have time. Okay, good. So we got that. Okay, so tell me what could you possibly say to yourself when you're thinking I have three more minutes? What could you say instead? I don't know if I can say anything because that's what, yeah, but imagine, just imagine, what could you possibly say to yourself? She said, well, I could say I don't have three more minutes. I said, yeah. Could you get up out of your chair and go do something else? Could you break the spell? Because this, the thing that's calling you, it's calling you loud and clear. It's a siren. It's saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. So could you get up out of your chair and break the spell? Would that work? Could you go to get a glass of water? What could break the spell that this thing has on you? And I think she said, well, what I could do is get away. From, I could get away from my desk. I said, good, let's try that. And so that's, that's where we left it. And so what I do is I work with them. What could you try? What could you try? And it's all an experiment to see what works. I don't expect this person to be able to just do it. It's experiment. 
at, we're, we're figuring out what works. It also strikes me that there's value <laughs> in the other person coming to those suggestions themselves. I, I'm struck by the fact that you weren't directive right now in your tone. You weren't saying you, you should do this and you should do that and then you should do this. You were allowing the other person in the example to come up with their own solutions to identify um, approaches that may work better for themselves. Yeah, there's, there's nothing direct if I could say that that person doesn't already say to themselves. I can't beat them up more than they're beating themselves up. And so I start off with that premise. I've known terror of getting things in late, repeatedly. So I know what that feels like. And I can't imagine that I could beat them up more. That's not the point. That's not what they need from me. They don't need a critical mother. They need a supportive guide. And so I'm willing to do that. Now, what the manager says to me, I don't have time for that. That person should know better. And I said, you have time to complain to me and to pay me money. You got the time and the money for that. That you should have. Let's try the time and let's try. Let's try this approach. And so I have to say to them, let's try it in the same way I want them to say to the client, let's try it. It's all a parallel process. So it seems to me we've and we've talked a lot about behavior change. Really, is you know behaviors yes. that are that are conflicting in the workplace. Um, I'm curious how you would approach communication styles that are different. For example, I. Personally and professionally, I've always been a very direct communicator, uh, almost to a fault. You know, I, I I leave very little to ambiguity. I, I tend to be very direct in my communication. Not everybody functions that way in the workplace. Others are more conflict averse or are more indirect communicators. When there's not necessarily a right or a wrong, so in your example earlier about someone um, turning in work late, you know, there's clearly a right and a wrong there, but where people are just fundamentally different in the way they communicate without one side being right or wrong, how do you suggest those two people navigate their different uh, communication approaches? Okay, so first, they have to identify this as a barrier to communication. And so with people I work with, I have them take communication inventories. I have them take okay. my rigs or social styles or whatever. Take something so that you can know this person thinks and communicates this way. Your nemesis communicates and thinks that way. So let's identify that as a difference. Okay, so, so this is advanced work, not in the moment. Then, okay, knowing that, then when they say such and such, how are you likely to react? How are you supposed to realize that this is going on, that this is a moment of intervention? Again, we know how to do this with clients. Can we do this with that irritating coworker? <laughs> okay, so now here we are. We know, so now they have said, you have said, I have said, Please let me know if you're going to be late. An indirect communicator might say, of course, or mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when it's time to be late and they know they're going to be late, they'll say, oh, it looks like it's getting close to the deadline. 
Am I really supposed to figure that out? What am I, what are you trying to tell me? Am I, oh, it's getting close to the deadline. Okay, is there a reason you mentioned that? Well, I was just thinking, so we have to go through this long song and dance. I'm twiddling my thumbs because I'm, as you might be able to tell, I'm extremely direct. So I'm twiddling my fun thumbs and then I have to just keep asking questions until I can finally get to the point. You think you might be late? Ah, thank you. And I always do this. Thank you for telling me. Even if I had to spend five minutes getting it out of the person. Thank you for telling me. Because the person really did the best they could given their communication style. Dr. Ladding, you've given us a lot of important tips today. Um, I, you know, I, I think that navigating different leadership styles and communication styles is a is a critical skill for leaders of any organization to develop. For those who may want more information from you or may want to reach out and connect with you directly, um, how can folks get in touch with you best? Well, thank you for asking the question. Okay, I'm, I have a website, www.leadingconsciously.com. That's leading consciously. Uh, I, I'm assuming you have show notes, so I won't take the time to spell it. So leadingconsciously.com. If you want to know more about tips like this, I have a blog. It's focused on a, a variety of to topics, all geared to leaders who are trying to navigate in a multicultural situation. And I do include thinking styles, by the way, and communication styles as a multicultural situation because you're coming from a different cultural frame of reference than I am. So I have that. We have a course, Pathfinders, a membership course, and there's information about that on the website. And upcoming will be a, a, a 10-month course uh, that might be up called change makers if it's not up yet you could just uh email me and find it excellent dr ladding i appreciate you taking the time to join us today for all of you who are listening want to thank you for taking the time to um to invest your time in listening to the podcast. We have a lot of exciting episodes coming up um, in the new year and in the rest of the month of December. Appreciate everybody that has subscribed. Also, feel free to share the podcast with friends, colleagues, coworkers who you think may want to become part of this podcast community with us. I hope you all stay safe, stay well, and we will be back soon with another episode.